All right, now if you have a question, what I'll do is I'll repeat your question so that it goes on to this because what's happened is these are being recorded. They'll be put up on the website and you can go back and, and look at them later. Or you can send somebody else to look at it if they need to. So that's the reason we're doing all these microphones is so that we get the proper recording. So, um, but we're doing ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit working together. And when that happens, you know, we will be able to reach the world. We will be able to do God's business here in such a way that His work is finished and we can go home to that heavenly kingdom, right? That's why we do ministry. We're not doing ministry just to do ministry, but ministry in order that there may be souls in the kingdom and that we may complete the work that God has given us to do here on planet Earth. And that's a big assignment because the world is a big place. There's something else here that you want to think about when it comes to ministry. If God has called you to some form of ministry, it may not agree with everybody else's idea of ministry. Okay? You may be called to do something that no one else has been called to do. I talked with a lady this morning. I'm just seeing if she's here. She came, no, she's not here, she had to leave. But she came by the booth there and she told me she had a ministry, and, 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 but she was trying to get started with it and she wanted some ideas about what to do. And so we started talking a little bit. And when I found out what her ministry was, I said, may God bless you in your ministry because this is so needed. God is calling her to minister to people who are needing to come out of the homosexual lifestyle. She has a personal experience with this. She was in the lifestyle for 20 years and she has come out of it. God has delivered her from that. And now she is beginning a ministry to help other people who are struggling with that situation. Now you say, oh, well, that's kind of, you know, weird. We don't even, why should we even talk about that? We're Seventh-day Adventists. Well, guess what? This is an issue even within the Seventh-day Adventist church. And God is calling her to, through her experience now, to be used in helping someone else. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't it a need? And, and I just wanted to encourage her to keep doing what she's doing and to follow God's leading. And she says, I'm a little bit scared. I said, you need, have you start, formed your 501c3 yet? She says, no, I'm scared to do that because that, then the government has control. And I says, okay, well, let's talk about some questions then. If you don't form a 501c3 and you don't get yourself organized, who are you? How do you do business? Do you want me to write you a check personally for your ministry and you just go put it in your own personal bank account? Are you accountable in such a way that I could agree to do that? Well, uh, well, maybe not fully. Uh, I mean, that really wouldn't be accountability. Well, so do you think God is leading you to start this ministry just so that you can do it while you're alive? Or maybe he has a vision that this should be a ministry that should carry on after you're gone. And how are you going to do that? If you have no organized way to do this, if you're not kind of haven't gone through the process that you need to go through. So she's thinking, I said, well, what if you get to the point where you need a facility to do business? You need something to do business. Are you going to put that in your personal name? Or are you going to have an organizational name to carry business and to do business like you need to? And so there's a whole bunch of very practical things we'll talk about today. And so we need to move forward or we won't get them all talked about. But we have this objective that we need to reach the world. We need to reach out to the world with the good news of Jesus. Well, here's a, a little cycle that you might think about. First of all, God may give you an idea. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, you might be praying and God would suddenly give you that idea. 
or there's a whole bunch of other ways. We're going to talk a little more about that. But after your idea, you have to do something to carry forward the idea, right? And you say, okay, God told me to go to Walmart and buy $50 worth of groceries and deliver it to that family. Well, there was an action involved, wasn't there? And it took some planning. You had to get up out of your seat and you had to take your car and drive to Walmart and buy $50 worth of groceries and deliver them to that house. So there was a little planning and organizing involved. Well, while you're doing that, you might see another family that has some needs and you say, well, I need another $50 worth of groceries. So you're beginning to grow now. Somebody else found out you did that and they said, hey, there's another family that needs some groceries. And so you begin to function and to operate and grow. And then there comes a point at which the ministry begins to take on a whole different idea. And you're thinking, I'm not just doing this by myself now. I need help. And so the ministry begins to take on this idea that we must mature the ministry. We can't leave it where it is. I mean, you could. You could just say, okay, God, every day when I get up, if you want me to go buy groceries to somebody, I will. And you could just do that. But it seems like God grows things. He takes something small and then he begins to add to it and add to it and tweak it this way. And pretty soon something is growing and you're going, how did that happen? Well, because God was helping you and guiding you along the way. And then fifthly, associate and collaborate is an important part of ministry. Did you know that? Coming to ASI is a part of keeping your ministry strong. If you come to ASI and you rub shoulders with other people who are doing ministry, you'll go home with new ideas. You won't go home with a blank slate, I guarantee it. You come to ASI, you walk around, you talk to other people who are doing something similar, and you get, you begin, your mind begins to go, wow, do you see how they're doing that? Did you see what they're doing over there? Isn't that neat what they're doing? I think God, thank you for that idea. And you go home and you implement it, and you're not stealing somebody's idea. And you might even talk to them, and they might help you to implement that idea in your ministry. In fact, how about that? Collaboration would mean when I see something that somebody else is doing and I decide maybe God is leading me to do that and I would talk to them and I'd say, well, why don't you just come over and do it at my place as well and you do it over there and do it over here for me because I don't have really the expertise to do that. And so we begin to think broader now as we collaborate together and as we utilize our God-given talents and skills and we begin to look for ways that we can collaborate together. So this is kind of the ministry development cycle that roadmap that I've put together. There's an idea. There's a need to plan and organize. There's a need to operate and grow. There's a need to mature the organization. And there's a need to follow through with association with other organizations and collaboration with other people who are in ministry. Okay, so let's take a look at, first of all, um, just talk for a few minutes here about this idea stage. And I, I really want to emphasize throughout this entire presentation that I believe that God is your primary partner in ministry. You can have human counsel, and human counsel is wonderful, but God is your primary partner in ministry. And prayer at every stage of the game, in every way, through your entire ministry experience, and Hopefully, when we take that approach, we won't make as many mistakes. We are human beings. We will make mistakes in ministry. I can look back on my experience in ministry, and I've made a lot of mistakes over the years, and I freely admit that. But somehow God is still blessed, and we're still involved in ministry, and He still uses those things, and He teaches me every day. And I always say, Lord, help me to learn quick, because that wasn't a good experience. <laughs> 
Lord, help me not to forget that lesson and not to do that again because I didn't like the results of doing that. And so as we are involved in ministry, we need to make sure that we really have prayer first on our list. And um, I, I told Mike and Diana, they're sitting on the front row here, I was going to take their name in vain during this session. Now, Mike and Diana have a ministry in Nicaragua where if you're going to go to where they minister, you better get your boots on because it's a long ways. And I was talking with someone this morning, Brian Traxler, and he's thinking about doing a mission trip down there with some kids. I said, it'd be a great experience for him, but count in two days of travel to get there. He said, two days? Why does it take two days? I said, well, there's certain little complicating factors along the way. Anyway, Mike and Diana do ministry in the jungle of Nicaragua with the Mosquito Indian people. They called me up a number of years ago and they said, the Lord has instructed us to start a radio station in Nicaragua in the jungle. I went, oh, that's very interesting. And I listened and I said, well, let me know if I can ever help you. Well, that was a good and a bad statement all together in the same statement. And I hung up the phone and I said to myself, you don't do radio in the jungle, first of all. There has to be a place, and you have to have electricity, you have to have a lot of things, and that, you know, they don't have any radio experience, and that just doesn't sound like an equation. Today, there is a radio station in the jungles of Nicaragua broadcasting to the Mosquito Indian people. It's the only radio station in the world that broadcasts in Mosquito Indian language. Now, why did that happen? First of all, they didn't listen to me because I probably would have given them bad counsel. Like, are you sure you want to do this? I didn't say that, fortunately, at the time. So I don't have to say, you know, I, I said that, but I was thinking it, <laughs> okay? But no radio experience, no ability. I said, this, this doesn't sound right. But God called them in a very specific way to do this. And so as they began to pray and God revealed to them a, a burden to minister to these people, the villagers are so far out that if you're going to go to one of these villages, it takes you one full day on the river in a canoe to get from the jungle village that they're in to the next jungle village up the river where the people need the gospel. So radio is a very practical thing to do, but it's just very complex in that environment. And so, you know, as they began to pray, and God opened the way step by step, right? Not all at once, but step by step, it began to happen. Oh, they said it would have scared them if it happened all at once. So God takes you one step at a time. Associate and counsel together. Get counsel, but make sure you always take that counsel back to prayer. Lord, I believe this is what you're leading me to do. And I talked to Steve Dickman. He said, don't do it. What should I do? The Lord says, do it anyway. Okay, that's exactly what you should do. Do it anyway. Don't listen to my counsel. If God's telling you to do something, that's what you need to do. Because I'm just a human being, and you need to take God's counsel first. All right? So, but pray, associate, counsel together. Come to ASI. You'll get lots of ideas here. You're already here, so I know that you're experiencing that as you walk around the booths and other things. Well, you better do some planning and organizing, or you're going to be in trouble. And uh, as I have studied this and learned about it, um, some of the things that, and God doesn't reveal everything at once. And so you notice that we put some arrows here. What is the vision that God is leading you to do? What is it that you feel impressed that God is leading you to do? Well, 
Do you know that we're a lot more likely to accomplish something we set out to do if we write it down? I mean, if you just simply take out a sheet of paper and you say, I'm going to go to ASI next year when it's in Dallas, you're more likely to go than you are if you don't write it down and decide you're going to do that. Okay? And so if you have certain things you want to accomplish, it's good to write them down. State the vision, and then you're going to begin to refine the vision. As you talk with people, you're going to begin to refine the vision. And there's certain things here at this, again, at this actions that you would do while you're stating and refining your vision. Again, you're praying, you're sharing the vision, and you're getting feedback. Okay, so that's kind of a cycle. I'm praying in the morning, say, Lord, you gave me this burden to do this, and I'm not sure what I should do, but I'm praying to you today that you'll show me the way. And then you go out that day, and you find your friend, and you say, listen, I was praying this morning, and God impressed me about doing this. What do you think about this? And so you begin to get that feedback from other individuals. Say, wow, that's a neat idea. Is there some way I can help you? And so other people begin to give you counsel. And you share the vision. You share what God is designing you to do. Impressing you to do. Now, in the case of the radio station in Nicaragua, what happened is that Diana shared the vision one day. And as they were praying, and, and, and Mike's saying no, and Diana's saying yes. The two of them were not in full agreement about what should happen, okay? And, and Mike says, well, I'd take $10,000. The Lord sends $10,000, then I guess we ought to do that. Well, as she shared that vision, one day somebody called her up. She didn't even know. She went to their office, and they handed her a check. She went out in her car and opened it up, and it was a check for $10,000 for a radio station in Nicaragua. Now, did God confirm the vision? And what was it, how did it happen? It happened because the vision was shared and God impressed somebody else that that was a good vision and he impressed that person for the exact amount that was needed to inspire Mike's faith. Okay? God knows us. He knows what we need. He knows what we need to be inspired to carry forward on this vision that he's given us. Now, could God have tapped some expert in radio to go down to Nicaragua and do this mission? Probably not because they'd say, that's stupid. You know, probably not. They would have said, that won't work. But he tapped on Mike's shoulder and Diana's shoulder because they didn't know enough to know it wouldn't work. And so now it's done, all right? So it's just an example of how God works. As you share your vision with people, other people get excited. Uh, the Stubbs over here are some dear friends of mine. God has inspired their work in Cuba. And they have this vision that they shared with me about a year ago or so that of doing some medical missionary work down there and getting a little lifestyle center established. And they, Arlene told me, we need a million dollars for this. That, I don't understand that, she said at that time. But what was she doing? She was beginning to share the vision of what was the God was laying on their hearts to do. You know, I believe God's going to fulfill that vision. I believe that in Cuba there's going to be a lifestyle training center and they're going to be used by God to help accomplish that vision because God has laid it on their heart. Okay? So if God is laying something on your heart, share it with people. Don't be afraid to share your vision with people. You see, they might say you're stupid or that, you know, that doesn't make any sense or you'll never do that. But if you've prayed and God is impressing you, then keep sharing that vision because you don't know for sure what God has in mind. And uh, we're not to thwart God's plans or to lay God's plans aside, but we're to cooperate with Him in his plans, right? We're to try to help his, uh, his plans move forward. Well, how about planning and organizing? 
plan the organization, and, and, and this is something that could be as simple as, okay, this is very simple at this point, back to the, you know, buy some groceries for a family idea. That's a very simple form of ministry. You, you know, you're, you're setting aside and you say, well, I'm going to set aside $50 of my paycheck every month and I'm just going to buy groceries for people and give it away. That's what God has impressed me to do. Well, you know, you still have to plan what you're going to shop for and, and simple things like that. So it can be a very simple plan. Um, Every first Tuesday of the month when I get off work, I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to buy $50 worth of groceries and I'm going to buy peanut butter and jelly and, and, and these things and take it out and give it away. Okay, so it can be very simple. Or it might be a little longer term thinking and it should probably include some long term thinking where you're thinking about three to five years from now, where do you envision God leading your ministry to be? So if we're not thinking to the future, it's hard for us to get there. You understand that? Now, a number of years ago, Harvard Hills Academy, the institution that I manage, um, we got involved in doing some planning. And at that point in time, we had 18 students. You can count those. It's not too big of a number. We sat down. We did some planning. We said, you know, we believe that we should have more than 18 students and that we should grow. And we said, what, are we, what should we grow to? Well, probably about 50 students is where we could be nicely accommodating students. And so our five-year plan was to have 50 students enrolled at Harvard Hills Academy. Well, it's been three years since that plan was put in operation, or two and a half years, whatever it is, two and a half years. And this year, we'll have 55 students, probably 50 or 55 students enrolled at Harvard Hills Academy. Now, that didn't happen by accident. It happened because we put a plan down. We said, in order to make this happen, we need to do the following things. And we really prayed and sought God's counsel and directed our efforts in the way we felt He was leading us, and God has blessed that. So don't be afraid to plan. Some people say, I'm just going to get up in the morning because that's what Jesus did. And He just prayed, and whatever God told Him to do, that's what He did. Well, there's some truth in that. And you should always pray every morning, and you should do whatever God tells you to do that day. But study the Bible and you'll find that God has plans for your life and it's not an accident that you came to ASI in 2011. It says, I have a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you and give you a future. John chapter 15, I think, verse 16. I have chosen you. Well, why did God choose you? It says, and ordained you that you should go. Well, where am I going to go? Well, God has a plan. The point is God has a plan for your life. And if He has a plan for your life, then I think it's appropriate that as we do ministry, we have plans as well. Study it out. It's in the Scriptures. You can find it there how God has plans. I'm glad God is planning because it says this. He says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't, don't worry. I'm going to leave you, but I'm coming back. Isn't that a plan that God has? He's planning to come back, right? It didn't happen by accident. It's a plan of God to return and finish the sin problem on this planet and in the universe, and we're going to be living in a perfect environment then. I'm glad that's in God's plans and that it's not a hidden plan. It's a published plan. He put it together in a book, and He laid it out so everybody can read it. We know what God's plans are. Okay? So don't be afraid to publish your plan. Don't be afraid to make a plan. Don't be afraid to publish your plan as long as you've prayed about it and, and counseled with others and, and done, your, done your work. Don't be afraid to publish your plan. Other people need to know about your plan. How can they help you if they don't know what your plan is? How can they really be involved if they don't know what your plan is? So don't be afraid to plan 
organize and think strategically about what God is leading you to do. Okay? Pray times two here at the planning stage, for sure. And here's another thing. As you're beginning ministry, and get a little ahead, we're going to take the simple example again of the groceries, and we're going to say, what about it here? How about you might need some people to help you? Okay? So at the planning stage and the stage at which you're looking to the future, you might need some people to help you. You, you, so you get a list of people, and you say, well, I think so-and-so could help me do this. And you make a list of five people that you think could help you with this effort that you're working on. And you begin to talk to those people, filter and refine the list. So you talk to number one on the list, he says, uh, no, sorry, not interested. Talk to number two, and they say, oh, yeah, I'd love that idea. Let me help. So you begin to filter and refine your list, get individuals who are willing to help you, and then you educate them. You teach them because people don't always know how to help. Volunteers may show up and they say, I don't know what to do. Well, you show them what to do. You let them help you, but you show them and teach them what to do. And uh, uh, Harold here has 50, 11 years of experience in ministry. And he's seen more boards operate than probably I even know exist in the world. And he's seen them all, the good and the bad. Right, Harold? And sometimes you have, you'll have people that are sitting on a board and they really don't know how to, how to operate in a board environment and they're causing problems on the board because they don't know what to do. Well, that's not necessarily a bad person, but they don't know what to do and they need some education. Your job is to educate your board members and we'll get to that. And so as you think about this, as, as God has given you a burden to do ministry, you also have some other burdens He'll give you along the way and one of those is you have to educate the people who are going to help you. So board members have to be educated too. They don't all know everything. They have to be educated as to how to help you best. Okay, and then use these individuals. Use people in your ministry. Use people in your idea stage. Use people in your planning stage. Use people as you're beginning to develop and move this project forward. Because guess what? If people are involved, they will help you. If people are not involved, they will watch you do the work. And they'll be happy to smile and say, oh, look at all the wonderful work that's being done right over here. And they'll smile and watch the work being done and away you go. Talked to somebody, um, and they were sharing this concept. They said they had talked to a number of individuals who are ministry, and they said, what would you rather do? Would you rather that uh, me give you uh, $10,000 for ministry in your setting, or would you rather that I bring a group of people to your ministry and help you do ministry? And it's talking about foreign travel and organizations that are overseas. And the person said, I would much rather have what? the people than the money. Yes, they desperately need the money, but more than that, they saw that if people would come and see what they were doing, then there would be more people that knew about what they were doing, and the message would spread, and they would have other resources coming into the system that they wouldn't have otherwise. So that's an important concept, getting people involved in what you're doing and allowing them to have uh, a part in that. So you want to educate these individuals and use these individuals, get them involved in what you're doing, and make sure that they are uh, well taken care of. Take care of the people that are helping you. Don't just, you know, don't, uh, don't abuse them. And, and sometimes we in ministry probably have that tendency not to fully thank and take care of the people that are helping us. But make sure you put a way in place to thank the people that are helping you and take good care of them. So, where are we at in the stage of development? At this point, we're planning and organizing. And the 
praying, developing a list of individuals, filtering, refining that list, educating them, and using them as you get started. Now we're in the stage where you've kind of planned, you've got this idea, you've planned it, and you've you kind of got things rolling a little bit, and now it's time to operate and grow the organization. So there's a process here as you're beginning to do ministry. And, and guess what? At this stage, you do not yet qualify for ASI membership. So we're kind of in the pre-stage of ASI membership because a, an organization has to be in existence for one year and have at least two people in the ministry, yourself and someone else, before it qualifies for ASI membership. And so what we want to do is help you get to that stage so that you can qualify for ASI membership. Okay? So now you're operating the organization, you're growing the organization. What does it look like to operate and grow an organization? You're definitely keeping prayer in the list. You might need to find a physical sponsor. Now a physical sponsor is someone like OCI or um, possibly a local church or someone who can assist you in such a way, for instance, that uh, you might need some money to do ministry. I was involved in another organization down in... Uh, in Nicaragua called Tosbariya Adventist Ministries and for a number of years their organization was hosted by a local Seventh-day Adventist church. So if you wanted to contribute to that ministry you sent funds to the whatever Seventh-day Adventist church it was. I don't remember the name of it but it was and you just sent the funds there and noted on there that those were to help with the uh, ministry in Nicaragua and they would help that organization you know do that. Okay so you might need a physical sponsor. You uh, you're, you're planning, you're implementing, you're evaluating, you're adjusting, you're planning, you're implementing. It's kind of a cycle. So you're in, you're in the growth stage, you're, you're planning something, you're planning a trip, you're implementing a project, and then you come back home and you evaluate how that went, and you plan the next adventure, I mean project, <laughs> and you go out and you plan and you implement that, and you come home and you look and you say, well, that didn't go so well, what did I do wrong? Or you said, that went great, what did we do right? And so you began to work through that process of evaluating, adjusting, planning, implementing, and, and kind of a cycle that you carry on. And at this stage, you may have a group of people we talked about earlier, and you might call them advisors. Because you can't have a board really officially. Am I right, Harold, on that, unless you have a 501? Or can you have a board anyway? Yeah, okay. Well, Harold's going to speak to those things in a few minutes, and we'll just get that information we get down here just a little bit. So as we mature the organization, we're still praying, we're still seeking for counsel, and God has led it to the point where your physical sponsor, whether it be OCI or a local church, and yourself have agreed, I think it's time for us to go to the next step. It seems like that things have grown to the point where we need our own way to identify ourselves and to do business. We need our own recognition in the laws of the land. We need to hold property. We need to exercise authority as a corporation. We need to do the business of this corporation in a more official, formal way. And so you begin to say, I think we need to form and we call it a 501c3, which is a nonprofit corporation recognized in the United States of America as an official way to do business for a ministry nonprofit organization. Now, Charter and Bylaws, this is where Harold is going to talk. Harold has more information in his brain than there's, there's books. He could write books about this. He's seen so much of it happen. 
But there's some basics here. And Harold, would you speak to these ideas that should be done at this point to make sure we don't make mistakes? And um, I'm going to let you use this microphone right here, uh, if you will, to speak to this so that we're... A 501c3 organization is uh, an abbreviation for IRS regulation 501c3 that recognizes certain qualified corporations as being entitled to a tax-exempt status. Uh, that's really an important step in your process. If you have a, if you have a ministry, as Steve has described, and you're growing it, up until the time that you begin to operate under a corporate structure and have 501c3 tax-exempt status, it's kind of your business. And it's your, it's your operation. And it's really important to recognize that people are, are reluctant to give and support your ministry if it's going in your pocket and you have control of it and you're accountable to nobody else. You understand that? And so they don't want to enhance your estate. They don't want to enhance your estate by giving to you donations that ultimately could be taken out of the ministry and put it in your pocket or go to your heirs. And there's lots of examples. There's lots of examples where that sort of thing has happened. And so it's, it's really important for you to get official 501c3 status. Now the Treasury Department is very interested in who they give that qualification, that status to because there's a certain um, recognition if you have that status that you are somehow reached a plateau of accountability and that you're reliable and that you have certain obligations. There's another reason. That they, uh, typically, people and organizations that earn money are, are obligated to uh, file a tax return and to pay income taxes on their property. If you have a 501c3 organization, you jump that hoop and people can contribute to your ministry and get a tax deductible receipt for it. And in effect, the government is partially supporting your operation because the taxes that would have gone to it now become the benefit of the donor. So the government's interested in that, and the, and the process of qualification for a 501c3 is not an easy thing. They ask some very searching questions. And I know that some people are able to do that on their own. We typically suggest that they hire a good CPA or a lawyer who's familiar with that kind of thing to just cut down an awful lot of grief. Coming with that privilege of being a 501c3, three tax exempt organization is an obligation to account yearly in what they call a 990 form that reports to IRS what has been the nature of your activity over the last year. Who have been your donors over $5,000? And what kind of things did you do last year? And how did you spend your money? And is there any kind of self-dealing? Are there are there uh, people on your boards that are interconnected by marriage or relationship? They, they're pretty searching questions because they want to know that it's a bona fide operation. And so 
the IRS 501c3 in the United States is a process you go through with the federal government, the United States government. Corporations are not organized under the federal rules. They're organized under the state where you're going to operate. And so you have a state corporation, and that corporation, uh, there are all kinds of different classifications of corporations. The ones that we're typically interested in are nonprofit corporations for the public benefit or for religious purposes or things of that kind. And they are, you have to follow and qualify uh, uh, with the state rules that apply in whatever state you're at. Typically, people can go through the incorporating process with some counsel, but can do that. That's not, that's not real difficult like the IRS for 5013C status is. Once you get your organizational status in the state that you're going to function in and have a not valid nonprofit corporation, you can do business, but you can't issue tax-exempt receipts, and that's very important if you're going to have an appeal to donors. Uh, someone may give you $50, but they're not likely to give you $5,000 or some large sum if they don't get a corresponding tax deduction for it. Depending on the tax bracket of the donor, that means, in effect, a benefit back to them of $1,500 to $2,000, and that's fairly significant. Now, if you're interested in working within the framework in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, in, in ASI, we have some things that we're interested in at ASI. People who come here to our convention and give to our offerings, they want to know that they have given to an organization that is bona fide, responsible, and is likely to do what they've agreed to do. And so, and that it will ultimately go to enhance the benefit of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's our orientation at ASI, that we want to make sure that our, our membership and our applicants for uh, funding from ASI are by qualified organizations, and we require for an applicant to ask ASI for funding to be a, a properly organized state uh, nonprofit corporation. We act. We require that they have IRS 501c3 tax status, or if they are out of the U.S. organization, that wherever they are, if it's possible, that they have similar status in in their country of origin. Now. <clears throat> We want to know, from an ASI perspective, that the ministry is not just generally in the do-good business, but we want to know that they are a, or an organization that significantly is supportive of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and its ministry. We make no apology about that. There are lots of good things out there, but we think that if we're if we're handling Seventh-day Adventist money, we want to make sure that it enhances the ultimate work of the church. And so in, in our review for either membership or for applicant funding, we look at the corporation's 
Articles of Incorporation. That's the key document that is the fundamental description uh, of what your organization is all about and your bylaws that tell the organization how to operate. We're looking for three things. We're looking for some affirmative statement in your Articles of Incorporation bylaws that you are doing this good thing, whatever it is, in support of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Clear and clean. Now, we get applicants for membership and for funding that don't contain that kind of language, and sometimes it's inadvertent or innocent, and sometimes it's very deliberate. Sometimes some of ministries like to walk on both sides of the fence. They'd like to not be identified in a public way as that they are Seventh-day Adventists because they want to they raise money for the Baptist, from the Baptists, or the, which is all okay, but it isn't okay if you're wanting to be a part of our organization. So we want you clear and cleanly to say in your articles and bylaws, whatever do-gooding thing we're going to do is all done in support of the ministry and message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay, that's what we say. Then, the people who are involved in a ministry are really important. Now, when you create, when you create a corporation, it's an interesting thing. You're actually creating, from the law's perspective, a new person. You're giving birth to an organization that has legal status. And the U.S. Supreme Court very recently issued a very controversial ruling that they have the same status as rights of, of uh, supporting political activity and so forth as an individual. And they can't be muzzled. And so who runs a corporation becomes a very important thing. And so we say this, if you're going to be an ASI member or an ASI applicant for funding, we want to know, are all of your officers and all of your directors required to be members of the Seventh-day Adventist in regular, church in regular standing. We make no apology about that either because we know whoever runs an organization controls the organization, and if they're not committed to the same truths that we are, that's okay with us, but you can't play in our game. We say that you, in order to be involved in ASI, that your, your officers and directors need to be members in regular standing of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so we say that out loud and up front. Then the last thing that we are interested in is that in the event that you dissolve your organization, and organizations sometimes have a life expectancy like people. They, they, they grow up, they're strong, and they're prosperous, and maybe they begin to wane and weaken and die. And like people, sometimes they die with lots of assets. And we want to know, in the event that this organization ceases to be able to function, the people who had the dream are gone, but they have the valuable piece of land over at the corner where the shopping center and Walmart wants to come and it's worth millions. Or they have other assets, and we say, we want the assets of the organization upon the dissolution to go to a Seventh-day Adventist owner controlled organization. Now it can either be to the organized Seventh-day Adventist church or another lay Seventh-day Adventist ministry, but we want to, we want to make sure that the, that the funds go back into 
a ministry and purpose that would support the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so we require that the dissolution clause, in the event that you have to cease to do business, that, that, that the primary uh, organization that gets those resources after the payment of all your bills and debts and so forth goes back to be used to enhance the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have another concern. And we've seen some examples recently that are kind of troubling in two fronts. One is that sometimes the organization as it's being formed, either through copying someone else's work and it's just inadvertent, or through design, sometimes the people create a corporation that is not a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but is a church. It becomes a church, the organization. And we don't, we don't admit that kind of organization to membership in ASI because ASI is con composed of businesses and organizations that function in support of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a supporting ministry. And so we're interested to make sure that the corporate descriptions that are in the Articles of Incorporation, particularly in the bylaws, are supportive of the church, but are not church, if you, if you understand what I mean. Uh, Sometimes it's an easy thing, and the, the state doesn't really care. If you say we're going to form the, the, the uh, people who believe, and you may describe all the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs in your organization, that isn't necessary, by the way, and uh, that you... Uh, are going to do all these good things and that we'll be able to uh, ordain our own workers and to discipline our own members and create other churches and congregate. We're not interested in that. That would disqualify you from us. The other uh, caution that I'm, uh, I'm uh, more aware and sensitive to is a tendency of people to say, well, it's a whole lot easier instead of having this board of directors or five people and seven people or 11 people and getting them together. My husband and I, we think alike. We'll just have the two of us and our cousin who'll never come to the meetings and we'll just run it ourselves. What we're really interested in is having a bona fide board of directors that has the benefit of a multitude of counselors because out of that there's wisdom and strength. And so we want to see a board of directors that's real. That's an actual organization that, because it will enhance and increase your likelihood of success and that you'll be able to uh, conduct a viable ministry if you have other people helping you stay on course. Directors, uh, directors are the group of people within an organization, a corporate organization that have the ultimate responsibility for the control of the, of the organization, the ministry. Yes? Can you speak to the exposure that those directors have under the 501c3? Okay. Repeat the, question. The, the question was, can I speak to the exposure that directors would have in a 501c3 corporation? Let me say this. As I said a moment ago, in the creation of a corporation, you have created a new and different body separate from 
the individual members who make up that organization, the leadership of that organization. It has its own set of rights, its own set of responsibilities. Generally speaking, the activities of a corporation immunizes or keeps you free from liability for the activities of the corporation unless there's fraud, unless there's a failure on the part of the directors to exercise due diligence in, a, in, in a addressing themselves to the issues before it and are uh, deli deliberately ignorant of the misconduct of people within the organization. Now, the, the, law, doesn't, the law doesn't say that directors have to be perfect in their judgment. In other words, if you're faced with this problem and the directors say, we have this problem before us, and they explore the nature of that problem and consider all of the issues and they make judgment A over here and it turns out ultimately to be wrong. And someone is harmed by that wrong decision. The person who's harmed by that wrong decision would probably not prevail against the directors for personal liability if they went through the process of looking at the problem, considering all of the uh, aspects of the problem and made an intelligent decision even though wrong. But if they have this problem out here and they ignore it and don't do anything to analyze the problem and come to decision A and they, someone is harmed by it and they have not gone through the due process arrangement, there could be liability that follows. Now, uh, the 501c3 aspect of it doesn't change that significantly. Uh, the, 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 except in this way that if an organization fails to carry out the purposes for which it was given tax-exempt status, and instead of running a ministry, they run a gambling casino, or they do some other, run a car wash and they lose, or a lottery and they, whatever, if they get away from their purposes, the tax-exempt status of the organization will be withdrawn and they may retroactively withdraw the tax exempt status so that the donors who made contributions to the organizations would be uh, subject to audit and, and penalty for having donated to an organization that was found to be inappropriate. And so that kind of penalty can follow an improperly run 501c3 organization. Uh, the question that she ra uh, raises is, that wouldn't it be easier in starting a ministry to just operate under the auspices of the church? Let me, uh, if a church will, in effect, cover your ministry, that's a real act of grace and exposure on behalf of the church. And so if they'll do it, they probably won't do it for long because of this. If, if someone makes a donation to Harvard Hills and says, I give to Harvard Hills, here's $5,000 Harvard Hills, you pass it on to the Indian Reservation for food. From the law's perspective, 
if I give the $5,000 to Harvard Hills, it then becomes their responsibility to make sure that the receipt of that money and the use of that money carries out their corporate tax exempt purposes, which may or may not include helping the Indians for food. So if, if a church accepts donations and passes them on to you for your use, they are exposed to make, if you don't run it right, and you cheat, or maybe you don't cheat, you make mistakes, and maybe you get sick or you get disinterested, and the money is somehow inappropriately used, the church's status and any other nonprofit organization that passes through money, if you will, to another organization is at risk for that. And it's the, the quicker that you stand on your feet and have your own qualifications, your own responsibility, the better off you'll be. Okay. Mr. Steve. Thank you, Harold. I appreciate that. Uh, and when I have a question about what's happening uh, in, in this realm, I always call Harold. And I say, Harold, help me. I need some help or we're doing this. And Harold and I have worked together on a number of different issues related to ministries and we found some pretty sticky situations. So we're not talking to you from a, a perspective of inexperience. <laughs> Appreciate it, Harold. Yes. No, we don't. Uh, we don't. Uh, uh, the three areas of interest that, that I indicated to you uh, are very easily inserted into other boilerplate things. When it, in the articles, it, it will say the corporate purposes of this organization are to do this and this and this and this and this. And we suggest to you that you add this language all in support of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, its message and ministry. Okay? Then your, your bylaws will say that the uh, qualifications for the officers and directors of this corporation are, and they list them, and we say, and shall be members in regular standing in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And then at the end of the, your, your articles of incorporation or bylaws, there'll be a dissolution clause that says, in the event that this organization ceases to function, it'll pay all of its bills, wind up its affairs, and, and give the money to a tax-exempt organization. And we say, add on, that is owned or controlled by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's very simple. Yes. Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know whether your question is stimulated by the fact that there's a Montana a corporate soul who is interested in ASI membership. I, uh, as a, uh, my career was a trial lawyer, and I sued the Catholic Church one time for an automobile accident arising out of a priest driving a truck that struck my client's truck, and I found out what a corporate soul was. And a corporate soul is a organization recognized, at least in California and perhaps elsewhere, that allows a corporation to function as a nonprofit with corporate soul, meaning one director, one person. And if the question is, what do we think of that? We think it lacks the kind of base that every ministry ought to have and an abundance of qualified and, and interested counselors, and we probably would not approve that because it, it lacks the necess what we think is the necessary need for counselors to assist. It's legal, 
and it's okay as far as the state is concerned, but we want to make sure that an organization is not the private domain of a single person or a single family, but rather really reflects the support of other interested people. I was talking with someone this morning, um, in fact, whose concern was, I, what if I start a corporation and I get a board of directors and then I don't like what they say? Well, my response was, that's what you should do. You should start a corporation and get a board of directors, and you might not like everything they say, but they are holding you accountable. And it's true that there, are, there have been in the history, I've seen board members who have been not giving the best counsel, they're not steering in the right direction. There tends to be some friction on the board, but eventually those situations will clear themselves up. A preponderance of members of the board will decide how to handle those things. And so, all of us need accountability, we need structure, and we need, yes, uh, to pray and seek wisdom from God, but it also is very true that accountability and structure are good for a ministry. I will tell you, at Harvard Hills Academy over the years, we've had some really good board members who have held us accountable, and there's sometimes a pain. But when they hold you accountable, you know that you have to do a certain thing, and when you show up in board meeting, that better be done. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that you didn't have time to do it the previous session and, and you really got raked over the coals. So this time you decided, I know I'm going to get that done because that person's going to come and they're going to ask that question again, did I get that done? And it's not that it's a bad thing, it's just you're overwhelmed with ministry and you don't always get those things done. And so getting a good, solid board is a whole other topic. We could spend a whole seminar just talking about boards of directors and how to properly select and instruct and uh, monitor and, and train and educate. And there's books and volumes written about that one topic. Well, we're not going to cover all that today. We're just going to tell you probably you need a board of directors. If you want to be your soulless corporation, you can do that, soul corporation, however it's called there. But it's probably not going to fit into ASI membership. And that's one reason we want to talk to this group of people who are interested in doing ministry is to say, do it right now. If you want to think about ASI ministry uh, or membership eventually, it's better for you to get these things straightened out now. There are corporations right now whose boards are in session meeting, not today, but in this process that have applied for ASI membership or funding and we've rejected them. And now they're going back and straightening out paperwork that would have been much easier to do right the first time because they do want the purposes to align with the Adventist church, and they do want not to be a church of their own, and they do want these things, but somehow they got in a cycle and things were done wrong, and it's just hard to get them corrected once they've been done wrong. And so it's better to take that counsel in the front end, and um, you'll find many divergent views today. What we're presenting today is basically the ideas of ministry and ministry development that will help you to be in harmony with the purposes and intents of ASI and how ASI would like to see its ministries develop and do business. There are many other ways to do it, and we're not against necessarily those ways, but we're just saying this is the way ASI would like to partner with ministries, to have it on a strong foundation, good solid boards and counselors and, and, and 501c3 organizations that are held accountable and actually uh, do business in the correct way with the state and are, are doing the things they should do between the state and the federal government reports and other things that need to happen. So um, let's, let's take, um, I'm sorry, yes, yes ma'am. Are there disadvantages to, 
Seventh-day Adventist Christians having 501c3s? You know, that's a question that could be debated for a long time. And the question I would ask is this. If you're not going to be recognized in that way, how are you going to do business as a ministry? It's true that you could have property put in your own name and do business and do ministry with property in your own name. It's true that people could give you money to you personally so that you could do ministry. But in terms of accountability and in terms of structure, that's not probably the best plan. If you're going to be in operation as a ministry, doing real business at a level that we would say is above just buying a few groceries, then it probably needs to be structured as a 501c3 because that's what our government recognizes. Are there pitfalls in that system? Probably so. But there seems to be more benefits than there are pitfalls according to what I would say be my personal evaluation of when I see the options. Our ministry at Harvard Hills Academy could not exist in the way that it does. Now, we could exist as a for-profit corporation. It's true. We could change it all. We said, instead of being not-for-profit, we're now for-profit. Let's try to make some money at this. Um, I don't know that that would really would make much money at it. But we certainly would have the potential to be a negative thing for a number of people who donate to our ministry. The laws of the land are structured to allow this. And in my opinion, uh, God's work should use that to its maximum advantage. If the laws of the land allow it, let's use it to our maximum advantage. Yes? Okay. Thank you for uh, that comment. I'll just kind of repeat it so some of the rest of you can hear and it'll be recorded on our, our system here. She's saying that from her experience, there are definitely some advantages to the nonprofit. It has the way smoothed before it on certain issues that a for-profit organization is going to struggle with more. When you're dealing with the government, you're dealing with certain things that need to happen and certain uh, plans you're trying to carry out, then there are certain advantages to having that 501c3 status. And you say, we are, in fact, an official 501c3 recognized organization. And the local government may say, oh, okay, you're doing nonprofit work for the benefit of the community. Let us assist you in getting this started over here. You need a piece of property cleared through the zoning or whatever you need, and you have that official status, and then it makes the road a little smoother as you're interacting with local governments, et cetera. So there are some definite advantages to that. Um, any other questions at this point uh, that need to be addressed? I just have some summary. Yes, ma'am. ASI is not in the insurance business, unfortunately, uh, for, uh, to, to some degree here. We might say that'd be a good thing to do is just offer some kind of blanket insurance for all the ministries, uh, but we don't do that. We don't act as a clearinghouse for that sort of thing. Our, our, our members are members, and we have certain services that we offer, but that's not one of the services we offer. Yes. Okay, let me speak to that. I think I understand your question. The question was, if, you have, if you're a ministry and you want to bring someone to assist you from outside the country and you need to issue an R1 visa, 
Okay, and you're a public benefit ministry versus a religious ministry. This is another whole area where we could spend probably three seminars just talking about the R1 visa and what that means and how to relate to it. I'm simply going to tell you it's a very complex issue and probably you're not going to get an answer from me. And so um, I can tell you that ASI itself has struggled with this to a degree on how if there's anything they could do to assist the ministries and some sort of relationships with the church and this sort of thing. And we don't have any answers yet. We're still paging through some of those things, looking at options and how that might work. But it's a, the, the whole nature of this visa process has become so complex and it's fraught with so many issues that I say, um, God bless you. <laughs> As you attempt to do those things, we do them at Harvard Hills Academy, and we fight those battles in a, in a certain way, and we have a way that we do it, uh, but we don't guarantee any success, and, and we, neither do we say it's, it's the best way or that it always works. It's just sometimes you get approval and sometimes you don't, and it's a complex issue. Um, yes, ma'am. Okay, letter of determination in 1023 form. Harold, can you shed any light on this? Well, the, when, the corpor when a corporation is properly filed within the state and they issue a, 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 a certificate of existence, if you will, for the organization, then the process that you go through to get your tax-exempt 501c3 status is entirely separate with IRS. When they have made a determination or looked into it adequately, to, they will tell you that we're happy to report to you that you have been approved and that you uh, have tax-exempt status and that donors uh, donations can be uh, a receipt can be issued for tax credit until you have that letter you don't have what you need well it, we went through the process for an organization that I'm involved with and it took about a year and it's not easy and the forms are voluminous and it's a it's an expensive searching process and the balance is that uh, it's a good thing frankly that the government is so careful because it helps screen out uh, inappropriate organizations from receiving tax benefit and people being scammed and so it's a burden but it's it's not without some benefit okay thank you uh, Harold for sharing your wisdom with us yes ASI as an organization exists within the structure of the North American Division. And our executive secretary sits in the office in uh, General Conference headquarters. We try to stay in tune with issues that may affect our ministries. But there are always things out there that could bite you from the side and you wouldn't be watching that. And it's just another issue that in our society today deserves some attention by every organization that functions because uh, it is a real issue and there are things being done to affect uh, the legal status of organizations that are valid organizations just because they have a certain stand on a certain topic. And it's true. 
and, and, and I don't know that we have any answers, but we're, you know, we try to stay aware of issues like that and, and do what we can to at least be aware of them so we can give some level of counsel to organizations to, uh, but uh, you, know, you can't stand in the other place as a Seventh-day Adventist than to say, you know, this is not in harmony with biblical principles. And so there's no other place we can stand as Seventh-day Adventists. We have to stand where we stand. And you might say, someday the chips are going to fall. We know that. Things are going to happen as a result of where we stand. Um, let's just uh, touch on this one last time to, to kind of finish up here. I think we're out of time. Is, is time expired? I think it has. I'm not having my clock here handy. Uh, okay, we're, we're uh, at the end of our time. But join ASI, attend conventions and conferences, network and learn. You can't join ASI as a ministry until you've been in business for a year and have the two employees and that sort of thing or two members participating with you. So what we're trying to do is do some training now so that you know how to do it the right way so that when it comes time for you to join ASI, it'll be an easy process. But so you may not qualify right now, except maybe you're a, a, a lawyer or a doctor or something else that already has a membership with ASI and business person. God is leading you to do ministry now instead of business and you already have an ASI membership. At some point, you may want to transition that membership under your uh, ministry name and, or get two memberships so that you're a membership as a business and as a ministry. And why is that? Because the exhibit hall over here where we allow people to exhibit, we have a certain level of confidence that we generate by allowing people to come in there. We say these people have passed muster, they exhibit, and we, we, we believe in them, we've seen their paperwork. Okay, and people walking around and they're taking an interest in a ministry know that. If they haven't passed that muster by just they're a business, they've been a member, and but yet they bring in now their ministry and they begin to exhibit that, we haven't seen the paperwork, we can't speak on their behalf. So we're tightening up on that as the days go by and years go by. We're slowly tightening that up and we want the ministries to show their hand as it were, show us their paperwork and make sure that we're in harmony on everything and then we bless them to be in the exhibit hall and people can walk around with some level of confidence that ASI has done some due diligence and the people there deserve to be there and to be funded and to have uh, potentially some of your contributions in their ministry. Okay, thank you for coming today. God bless you and may he bless your ministry and your focus on developing a strong ministry. Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.